Welcome, coaches, to another episode of Coach's Corner, PTR's podcast series. My name is Brian Parkinen, and I'll be your host for today's episode. We're thrilled to have you joining us. To our PTR members, a huge thank you for your continued support from all of us at headquarters. If you're not currently a PTR member, we'd love to have you join the PTR family. Jump on over to ptrtennis.org to learn more about membership opportunities. We are really looking forward to today's episode, coaches. Joining us today is Captain Dr. Mark Broker. Captain Broker is a thought leader, sought-after keynote speaker, professor, historian, executive coach, author, and proven leader. Recipient of numerous military and civilian leadership awards, he served in an array of leadership positions during and after his naval career, including 15 years in the C-suite. Captain Broker served as commanding officer at one of the largest naval hospitals worldwide. He also served as chief of staff for the Navy's Medicine West, responsible for 10 hospitals spanning the West Coast to the Indian Ocean and healthcare for 800,000 patients. In this position, he provided executive coaching for 10 commanding officers. After transitioning from the military, Dr. Broker founded Broker Leadership Solutions, a company passionate about helping leaders succeed on their leadership journey. He has presented to thousands of professionals from diverse organizations in 21 countries on five continents around the world, including an array of Fortune 500 companies, professional and military organizations, and top universities. Captain Broker volunteers as an executive coach at the Honor Foundation, a nonprofit organization that helps U.S. Navy SEALs and other special operation forces military transition from the military to the corporate environment. He also teaches leadership studies at Chapman University. Dr. Broker earned a B.S. degree in pharmacy from Northeastern University, an MBA from National University, a Doctor of Pharmacy degree from the University of Rhode Island, and is a graduate of the Naval War College. He is board certified in healthcare management as an American College of Healthcare Executive Fellow. So let's dive into today's topic. Mark, we are so excited to have you on the show today. It is an absolute honor and a privilege to have you joining us today. Uh, how has everything been going with you throughout the course of the pandemic and how has your life changed because of the pandemic? <laughs> well, like most people, uh, it's, uh, it's been, you know, it's quite epic when you think about it. Never in the history of mankind have we been sequestered to this level for a couple, three months now. But, you know, where everyone's pers- persevering and I'm persevering like everyone else. And, you know, for me, I'm just uh, obviously my, the way I made a living was I'd get in front of groups of people and talk. Well, you can't get in front of groups of people. So uh, like uh, everyone else, I'm learning Zoom. I'm learning how to get the word out asynchronously and synchronously. So, uh, but it's good. It's, you know, I think it was for me personally, it's something I've been wanting to do, teach online. And uh, now this has forced me to do it. So it's all good. Oh, fantastic. So I I think it's safe to say you're now a Zoom expert after the pandemic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I am a Zoom expert, I guess. No, I I, I don't know if I'm an expert, but I I figured it out. And, you know, as you as you know, it's not uh, it's pretty simple, but uh, hopefully we'll get through this thing. And uh, I know we crossed a threshold of deaths in the COVID thing, but uh, I'm I'm optimistic that we've seen the worst and the best. uh, You know, we can get through this thing and get a vaccine and get get back to normal. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's all of us are on that same page and it's ready to, to get back to some sort of a normalcy as, as much as that's going to be and what that may look like uh, to be determined. But we're all we're all ready for it. That, that's for sure. I think um, you're right. Before before we dive in, you know, then just going back to, you know, kind of your life before the pandemic to where it is now. Have you picked up on any new project, hobbies, anything new to, to fill your time or has it been pretty much business as usual? Yeah, no, it's definitely not business as usual, but, uh, uh, but I, I, we've been doing a lot of work on the house. That's good. Uh, things I've been needing to get done and I uh, just kept putting them off because, you know, you don't have time for them. So I've been doing a lot of work around the house and that's always fun, you know, working on things. You can see the fruits of your labor pretty quick. I uh, started my second book and I've been working pretty hard at that. You know, just writing is a beautiful thing. You can do it anywhere. So uh, that's been, uh, that's been keeping me busy and, and yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm always busy and then it's keeping me busy and like everyone else, you find things to do. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely been interesting times, but uh, you know, we're all, we're all making it through together and I definitely see a more of a, a bonding together of, of, of everyone in, in our sport. And um, just to, if there is a silver lining to it, the support and the coming together has been really, really nice to see. You know, yeah, connecting with people you hadn't connected with in a long time. It's, you know, it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful thing when you can connect with folks, you know, relatives and friends. And, and it is interesting. I, my old group of high school friends, we hadn't spoken consistently for quite a while, but every two weeks we get on a call together and a Zoom meeting. And, you know, like most people, you reconnect. So that's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Well, Mark, we're, we're going to dive in here and, and you are, you know, just have so much knowledge and, and experience in, in the realm of leadership. And uh, really, we're going to stay pretty tight to that whole idea of leadership, but, but tied into definitely leadership within a crisis or coming out of a crisis. Do you want to just share kind of how do you view and what is your definition of an effective leader? There's, there's a lot of thoughts that are out there, but you know, what is an effective leader, the definition of effective leader mean to you? Yeah, that's, you know, that's, you can Google that and come up with about probably 10 million hits. But, you know, to me, it's pretty simple. I, my thing, my, my deal is I just want people excited to come to work. Um, if you get a group of people who are excited to come to work, you can do great things. If you got a group of people who just really hate going to work, that's going to be a struggle uh, on, a, on the best of days. Um, so I guess the simplest way I, when I took command of Bremerton many years ago, I, and someone told me, he said, just get your people excited to come to work every day and everything else will fall into place. And that's what I try to do. And that's what I think, you know, there's a million reasons, I mean, a million, I guess, definitions of effective leader. But for me, if you can get people excited to come to work, man, things, things move, uh, much quicker and much easier, frankly. Yeah, no. And that's, uh, that, that is a, uh, it's just always great to get someone's insight, especially someone that has as much knowledge and background on this of, of really how you view it. Because as you mentioned, we, you can go on, you know, to Google and the different search engines and, and find it. But, you know, hearing, you know, a, a real life example of where that actually comes from, it's just so much more impactful uh, and carries just so much more weight, you know, and, and with that, I, I want to transition to this next part and, and having an opportunity, Mark, to, to listen to some of your presentations in the past you know, and, and what happens in the military uh, on stress levels and the impact stress can have on leadership. Do you want to take a, a moment and just kind of talk about what effects have you noticed that stress actually has on your ability to be an effective leader? 
Oh, it's huge. It's absolutely massive. You know, there's a thing on uh, a miniseries. I don't know how I love military history. I love leadership, and I right behind closely is military history. Um, and there's a miniseries on about Grant, and I've read quite a bit about Grant. And uh, it's beautiful. The, the miniseries is actually bringing out what I would think. I'm not a civil Civil War historian, but it's quite accurate. And what they say about him consistently is in the middle of a crisis, basically a battle, which is the epitome of a crisis, talk about unknowns, he remained calm. He did not let the stress get to him. And how, you know, how people are wired differently, um, that is a, that's, that's the intrigue of this thing. But um, stress, boy, when, when you're in the, the cauldron of fire, and again, battle is probably the most stressful situation human beings can be put in, um, some people, get stressed and, and panic and other people don't. Um, and that is, to me, that's, especially in a crisis, which I guess we'll parlay into here pretty quick. Um, that's that's the most important piece of, of this thing. And what's fascinating is if you look at World War II and, and all through war, but certainly World War II and Civil War was, you know, that Abraham Lincoln went through probably a half a dozen generals before he found his grant. Um, and in World War II, General Marshall was trying to find out who was going to be the battlefield commanders, and and they, he put people in who looked good on paper. Uh, that's all you can do is because never no one has been in battle before. When World War One, they were too junior, and many failed. And Marshall, to his credit, pulled them out of there quickly and put them back in the states and, and training, you know, less stressful environments, and they they, they were fine. Um, so we just don't know what's what's intriguing about uh, leadership is you don't know who's going to perform in a crisis and who's not. And, you know, I don't want to get into politics here. I'm not going to mention any names, but in the United States right now, it's fascinating for me to watch 50 case studies of leadership, meaning every state has their, their own unique problems, their own unique challenges, their own unique uh, level of COVID infectability or, you know, the infectious rate and, and whatnot, and, and how that's hammered them. New York, obviously the worst in, in New Jersey. Um, and so you're watching 50 different leaders handle this and some in my humble opinion are doing a, a very good job and some aren't i'm not going to get into it because i don't <laughs> i don't want to it's just my own opinion but people can see that and, and some leaders are ready for prime time for crisis and some are not um you know i just you know i'll, I'll stop there and I, I think but but stress i guess the most important thing a leader can do and we might just jump into it right now because it's, it's it's the most probably the most important what, what, what was a nirvana for me, Brian, when I looked into it, and I couldn't understand why some leaders micromanage and felt like they control things and, and try to control things that they clearly could not control. Uh, when I was in Navy Medicine West, uh, you know, you've heard my, my, my bio, but I had 10 commanding officers reporting to me, and some of them understood they really couldn't control much. Others thought they could control everything, and my goodness, the key performance indicators were directly attributable to that, that piece of the action. Those who thought they could control a lot, they did not perform well. Their commands did not perform well. Those who understood that they, they really didn't have much control of the day-to-day -day activity, uh, they did better. And the point is this, the bottom line is this, and this goes back to your question, stress and how does that impact leadership? At the end of the day, Every leader controls one thing 100% of the time, and that's their behaviors. That You can control that, you can control that 100% of the time. And when you understand that, when a leader understands that, 
when that stress comes, not if, but when the crisis comes or when the change comes, they will be aware and cognizant that I must remain calm. I cannot panic, meaning I can't, you know, if someone gives you bad news, you, you yell at them, things like that. Um, when you understand that, you can control your stress because you, you understand that what, how you're acting is going to directly impact the culture of the organization that you're leading. And you're trying to create a culture of, of, of trust, not fear. And, and again, going back to, to Grant, somehow this man could control his emotions. And I'm sure in his stomach, and actually in his book, um, he did memoirs on his deathbed, literally, uh, that he wrote pretty um, clearly and, and transparently that he was nervous, but he knew he had to maintain his composure in front of his troops uh, during, the, during battle. So going back to your question how stress impacts leaders it can have a major impact but 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 let me just continue and say this and i'll stop but every interaction between a leader and there's his his or her subordinates impacts trust every interaction every email every phone call every meeting every passing by in the hallway every single interaction dictates whether you're going to create a culture of trust or culture of fear in stress during times of crisis, that is magnified by a factor of probably 10. Everyone's watching the leader in a crisis, and that's your cauldron moment, that's your crucible moment, where those leaders who understand that they must remain calm and, and, and maintain their wits about them, oh man, people will see that and they will remain calm, and great things happen as opposed to panic. Uh, that spreads like wildfire, which is everything that leaders do is, is emulated more or less. And in a crisis, it's, it's, it's even more so. It's a long answer to your question, but it's a fascinating question. Uh, how does stress impact leadership? It, it's, it, is, it, it impacts it a, a massive amount, a massive amount. And a fantastic response. I mean, that's, we could go on and that's, that's what this, this podcast is really about is, is to, to dive into really the nuts and bolts. And just absolutely love the response there. And it segues us really nicely in terms of you talk about trust and, and, and some of the different skills that people in leadership positions are going to have to truly embrace coming out of COVID and, and really, you know, really leading through a crisis situation. You know, many of these coaches are coming into leadership roles when the clubs are coming back online. And going back to, again, trust, empathy is, is one of the big ones. What are some of the, the vital skills that leaders uh, in these roles and these positions are going to have to really leverage? Uh, and, and how do they dive in to connect on a more personal level with their, with their staff? Yeah, that's a, that's a, again, that's the essence of it, isn't it? Um, you know, I, I, I put a, I did a blog, I, I do blogs, and I did a blog back in March. And the blog was basically this, Brian, it was, is I, I was working with a, a hospital. Uh, I'll leave, I won't mention, but it's in actually it's in my blog. It's Evergreen Health up in Seattle. I've been working with that leadership team for about a year. And what we've been talking about was just what you're you're asking. And what I was talking to the CEO about and his team, as I said, here's the things you must do now um, to build trust and, and have the people at the end of the day, when your people know that you care for their well-being, the subordinates employees know that the boss cares. The, their well-being, they will work really hard. I, I could, we could go through, we could spend a one podcast just on data that shows that. So that is, you just gonna have to trust me on that one. It is, it is, it is a known. It is, a, it's a reality. 
again, when people know the boss cares for them, they'll work hard. That's it. Um, so what we were working on up there was uh, showing that you care. The question is, how do you show um, uh, an employee that you genuinely care for their well-being? And that is not found in too many places, Frank. And that's, you know, I'm sure at some point we'll talk about my book. But that's what my that's the space that my book fills. I because I could not find anything that said, okay, caring is important. Caring equals trust. Really important decision making, being informed, a leader being informed of what's going on. But how do you um, create that culture of, of caring and trust? So some of the things we work with at Evergreen Health and other certainly what I did at my hospital is I, I, I expected I made I put it in writing. I expect my leaders to know their people. On a, on a pretty personal basis. Uh, you know, I want to know, you know what their struggles are, what their goals are, uh, find out about them, take a genuine interest in their, in the, the people that you lead. Um, the second thing I said, I, you need to be visible. You need to get out of your office, walk around, talk with them, interact with them. Um, and maybe not just talk about work all the time. And frankly, maybe don't talk about work all the time. Just have a, a nice relaxing conversation about stuff um, with your people and you try to build, become more approachable. The third thing I talk about is being respectful. Respect people's time, be timely with an email response, be timely with getting back with people on a request. Uh, respect their time, don't talk too much, listen to get their feedback. If you feel like you're going on and on, maybe, maybe not talk so much. Don't get mad at them, don't get angry, not, not a good skill set in my opinion. But just showing respect, listening, we, we talked about that yesterday quite a bit. Uh, listening is huge to show respect. And the fourth is hold people accountable. Don't ignore good performance. Don't ignore poor performance. Um, uh, when people do a good job, tell them, tell them they did a good job. Uh, if they don't do a good job, bring them in. And a great way to talk about that is uh, uh, help me understand that Stephen Covey's, one of Stephen Covey's tremendous book is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Probably many people who listen to this heard that book. It's a great book. One of his habits is instead of attacking people for, for their behavior, their lack thereof, say, you know, help me understand what's going on. Help me understand why you're coming in later. Help me understand why. Um, and it's a great way to get to the essence of the, the root cause of the issue. And the, the fifth thing is be optimistic. You know, there's, I, we could just do a podcast on optimism. I, do, I talk a lot about optimism. The biggest chapter in my book is about optimism because it is so important. Um, so those five things, I was working with the team at Evergreen. So what happened is they were back in, I think March 1st was the first death in the U.S. It was at their hospital. They were uh, uh, right across the street from a, a long-term care facility that just, you know, by hook and by crook, they got infected pretty badly. And all these folks were coming into their hospital. And it was like really the first mass casualty of a COVID patient's situation. In their team, I got there two days after that. It was remarkable, Brian. They, they, were, they were just, they remained calm. There was no, uh, there was no uh, anxiety. It was an amazing performance, frankly. There's no other way to put it. I mean, it, they performed in a, in a, at a very, very high level. And they're still to this day. As a matter of fact, I'm talking... CEO this afternoon, just kind of catching up on things. And I attribute that to the, before the crisis hit, and this is really the essence of, of what we're going to talk about here, is before the crisis hits, because a crisis is going to hit. You know, we could have the second wave. I have no idea what's going to happen in the fall, but everyone's predicting a second wave. So that could be even worse than the first wave, but hopefully it won't be as shocking, but it could be, who knows, we just don't know. Or, you know, it's Kim Jong-un, they lob a nuclear bomb, who knows what could happen? 
uh, the next crisis is around the corner, in those organizations, and this is probably the most important thing, those organizations who do those five things that I just talked about, sh basically show that you care for your people, build trust with your people, when the crisis comes, we'll get through it much easier than in a culture of fear, which is the opposite. And the blog I was kind of inferring, uh, so I talk about in the blog about Evergreen's health's tremendous performance during this crisis. And it was because frankly, they built trust before the crisis hit. At the same time I was reading this book, Crisis of uh, or a Contest for Liberty, it's about World War, it's about the Revolutionary War. And this guy's a historian and he um, read and in, 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 in researched there are many Revolutionary War units that did not fight. They basically committed mutiny during the Revolutionary War. We don't read about that, but they weren't, weren't getting paid. They weren't getting fed. They were just basically, we're not being, you know, they just weren't, weren't getting it done. And some units mutinied and some did not. And this, this gentleman uh, wrote the book. He, he, decided, he found out why did, some, why did some fight and some didn't fight. Well, it was the same thing. Those units that fought in the Revolutionary War, they say one after another, my leader cared for me. My leader took an interest in me. My, I saw my leader. Um, he, he knew about me as a person. So it's, what's amazing about that little case study is 250 years before, the same leadership skills got people to perform on the battlefield in, this, in the Revolutionary War. It's the same skill set that was used by this team of leaders in, uh, in Evergreen Health to get their people to perform in a crisis. And it'll be the same thing next week or next year or next century. Uh, there's so many, uh, human nature doesn't change. People wanna know that their leader cares for them. And when they do, they work really hard, whether there's a crisis or no crisis. Um, so the, the, the most, the smartest thing in a, in a nutshell, the bottom line for a, a, a tennis owner, a tennis professional, or a, you know, anybody, any, any organization, leader of any organization is today now, take be proactive and, and, and take action to show the, the people that you care for their well-being. And when the crisis comes, not if, they'll perform. That's it. It's, uh, it's so valuable, right? And, and it's something that we really don't talk about enough. You, no. you, you talk about all of these other factors that, yes, they do impact uh, effective leadership, but this whole idea on building trust and, and building that relationship and that caring environment for, for your, your staff and, and your coworkers. I mean, the, we, we just can't talk about that enough because it's a topic that doesn't get talked about or addressed as much as it really should. And the long lasting effects, I mean, as you mentioned, it's, it's, it's long lasting and, and quite uh, far reaching. So. Yeah. And those organizations, Brian, that embrace this, you know, Gary Ridge, probably no one's ever heard of Gary Ridge, but he's a CEO of WD40. Um, and I've had a conversation with him because he has embraced this philosophy of leadership. Um, Ken Blanchard has embraced this, you know, he's an iconic. Um, but those organizations that do this, I, I tell you, I, I'm convinced that I could, again, I'm not the, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I, I'm convinced that anybody could go into a position of leadership and not me really know the, the, the industry well, um, and, and, and embrace this philosophy and turn the company around and be successful. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, you know, you've heard the story of me when I, I said it yesterday, when I, when I became commanding officer of Bremerton, I, I realized I really was not trained to be a commanding officer, you know, a healthcare administrator. I was a pharmacist. 
And I had a mini panic attack about three days before that, uh, that change of command because I realized I didn't really know how to run a hospital. And it's, it's a truth. I mean, I had some rudimentary skills, but there were so many people more qualified than me. And my wife, I, I know you I told this story, my wife wisely said, just be the best leader you can be, care for your people, and probably good things will happen. That's, that's what I did. And that was really my the epic moment for me to realize that this stuff is very, very powerful, like you said. And it isn't really talked about. I challenge, I've given this talk around the world to thousands of people, and I ask them, how many people have an MBA? And they raise their hands. I say, how many people have learned about these behaviors in their MBA program? And I've actually had one person uh, say, yes, it was in my program, of thousands of people. So this is not taught, it is not common knowledge, and it is the, to me, it's the essence of leadership. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's so refreshing to be talking about it and because it is something that each one of us that are in any sort of a leadership role have total control over it. It is yeah. something that, you know, there's a lot of things out there that are outside of your control, but this is something that you have total control over being able to create that environment that fosters trust. That is a caring environment. And it's again, love talking about that. And uh, you know, it carries us nicely in, in, into the next part with this, Mark, is, you know, to create that, it really, you really need the right mindset as a leader to create that type of environment. You know, how does someone mindset really, truly affect their ability to go from a good leader to a great leader? Yeah, that's a, that's a, yeah. What's so frustrating to me, Brian, when I give talks, I, I, I do, you know, I do consulting and you know, uh, coaching, I guess is a better term, executive coaching. And you know, I've told, I can't, well, thousands of people, I say, here's, here's the, here's the, here's the recipe, man. You do these things and you will have, you will have great results. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's ubiquitous. And no matter what, you know, I've talked at tennis and churches and, and bankers and manufacturers, pipe fitters, uh, engineers, academia, military, just name an industry I've talked, I've spoken to them. And, and for whatever reason, some people embrace it, some people don't. And I think part of it is, um, I think some of it, I, I, again, I don't know, I'm not, a, I'm not a social psychologist, but I think the, the, the tougher crowd that I speak to are the older, older folks, 40s and 50s and even 60s, CEOs and you know, pretty high up C-suite. Uh, you know, you can get to those levels and you can certainly be successful without embracing these. Um, but these people are leaving a lot of money on the table, uh, frankly, uh, because people aren't performing where they should be. But it's hard to convince them that, hey, here's a better way to do it. And they're thinking, well, I'm 55 years old. I'm making you know, a boatload of money here running this corporation. I'm pretty successful. Why should I change? Uh, so I think some of it is maybe not arrogance, just that you know, it, it, it takes an effort to change your behaviors. Um, in, in younger people, I, I'm actually giving a talk remotely, of course, synchronously um, up in Newport to a bunch of young officers. I've just got an email this morning. I do it live usually, so they're we're working on this thing just like we did yesterday. Um, and, uh, but I'm going to, these young officers, about 25 is probably the average age. Uh, most of them maybe have a couple of years of professional experience, but they're really, they're, they're, they're hungry to hear this information. And just by the look on their face and the questions they ask, they embrace this. So the younger crowd are, are more, frankly, eager to hear this. And frankly, they'd be more likely to be great leaders. In, at the end of the day, I'll just share with you, what, you know, what are the, we talked about the skill set of knowing your staff, be visible, be respectful, you know, holding people accountable, being optimistic. That's all, 
those are the four tactical pieces of it. But really, when you step back, when I was writing my book, I said, what, you know, what does it take to do those things? It's change your behavior. And really what it boils down to, Brian, is it takes energy and it takes discipline. It takes energy, meaning you've got you've to gotta get up and out of your office and walk around. And it takes energy to listen to people. It's hard to listen to people. It's easier to talk. It's hard to listen and comprehend. It's, it's, it's very, very uh, labor intensive, frankly, to, to really listen and want to know what's, what, these people, what, what someone's saying. Um, and it takes energy to, uh, to again, walk around. Uh, it takes energy to spend a half hour to get to know somebody. Uh, and again, listening to what they have to say in discipline, think about the discipline piece. You talked about stress, uh, where people lack discipline is when the, the bad news comes or the, a crisis hits and they have, you know, their cortisol level surges through their body. You know, there's, you know, EQ is a beautiful science of emotional intelligence. I'm sure many people in the line have heard about it. Uh, kind of a new science. It's fascinating. and I'm, I'm a big supporter of it. Uh, but, you know, what that science says is when a crisis hits, you're, literally your cortisol level surges through your body. That's kind of a fight and flight thing. Um, and, uh, and that could produce bad stuff like yelling and screaming or throwing a pen or something. Um, and so it takes discipline not to, not to go there. And I think part of the equation is, I've thought about this a lot, is why, why do people elect, frankly, to, to lose their control or to, to let that stress affect them? And I truly believe, Brian, is I don't think they understand the ramifications of their behaviors. As we talked about, your behaviors on a minute-to-minute, second-by-second, hour-by-hour basis create a culture. And it's either a culture of trust or culture of fear. And obviously, there's a big swing in there, but that's always changing. It's always changing. Um, and those leaders who are cognizant of and aware that their behaviors, again, second-to-second, are changing that on that scale are going to be more likely to, to, to pick up the right tool when that stress comes, meaning I'm going to stay calm, like Grant we talked about. Um, I just got to share with you a fascinating study that was reported in Wall Street Journal, just in a, this is just interesting. And this is under the, under the umbrella of every interaction impacts trust. So, so this, what they did is they brought a new leader into a, a company and uh, every email this person sent at the bottom of the email, he said thanks with an exclamation point to every one of his, his subordinates for three months. Thanks, exclamation point. Thanks, exclamation point. Thanks, exclamation point. And they measured trust. And trust slowly increased. Of course, he's doing many other things. But that was the, the one thing he did consistently. On the 91st day, he started sending emails with thanks with a period. Thanks, period. Thanks, period. And everything else was the same. He didn't change his you know, decision making. And what happened to trust? Trust went down. And I guarantee you, if you talk to the people, they probably didn't even understand that maybe it was insidious that they didn't even, they were, who knows why they, they went down, but they, they created some fear, probably thinking, hey, I used to get, you know, he looks, it sounded like he was excited about my work. Maybe he's not so excited anymore. Maybe I didn't do a good job on the report. So there's just a great anecdotal study that shows that everything you do as a leader impacts this trust uh, culture relationship or trust and or fear. Um, and uh, anyway, so going back to what makes a good leader, a great leader. I think those who embrace the power of their behaviors can, can much easier become a great leader. Oh my goodness. I mean, this is, yeah. And, and that's the whole idea here, right? Is, is, is just embracing these ideas. And again, I, I go back to, and, you know, sounding like a broken record here, but it's a lot of these things are, 
uh, it's just having a, a focus on it and a devotion to continue to develop yourself and, and embrace these, these skill sets. And, and every single one of us has an opportunity to improve our leadership skills and, and opportunities. Yeah, you know, yeah. with that, Mark, I mean, it, it's, it really segues us nicely into one of our final questions here is, what's something that all of us could do today that will help us be more effective, better, and, and more efficient leaders of tomorrow? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, Brian, you know, the last thing I talk about, you know, just going through those one last time, behaviors of a leader that show that you care and take you to the next level, take you from good to great, know your staff, be visible, be respectful, hold people accountable, be optimistic. Well, the sixth thing I talk about, I didn't mention now, but it's, it's perfect timing, as you said, what can people do is continuously learn the art of leadership is the chapter in my book. And you, the question you answered by people listening to this podcast, you are, frankly, uh, you have more um, knowledge now of the power of your behaviors. And I can, if, if people are wherever they're listening to this, I guarantee you, I guarantee you that if you get to your office and you, you listen to this in the car and your secretary gives you bad news, uh, you're going to be less likely to do something that you're going to regret. So the point is what people can do is continuously remind themselves, because it's all common sense. I mean, this is not rocket science, this is common sense. But in the, the whirlwind of the day and the, the, the churn of business and the battle, as you call it, or whatever you want to call it, people lose sight of that their behaviors have that much impact. So in answer to your question, what people can do is continuously read or listen to podcasts or blogs or something, uh, listen to the, the podcasts and read blogs to do something to kind of remind themselves that uh, what I do on a minute to minute basis is very, very important. Um, and the last thing I talk about uh, in my talks is, is that this, this exact topic is um, I'd say to them and I say to folks in the audience here that because you were so attentive to listening to this and thanks Brian for putting this together and PTR, you guys are awesome. It's just been a, a great partnership and hopefully we'll continue our partnership. Um, and I get to, I told Brian, I'm, I'm probably the worst tennis players ever associated with. <laughs> so it's not like I'm a, a tennis professional, but it goes to the power of these behaviors. It doesn't matter if you're a tennis professional or a banker in Singapore, or a, a, an insurance broker in Shanghai, smoking all those groups. I, I talk about the same things. So to, 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 to what can you do today is just continuously remind yourself of the power of these behaviors by listening to podcasts like this and, and reading. It's perfect. A great, uh, great segue, Brian. No, I, I love that, Mark. I mean, it's it's great actionable items, and again, it's it's being able to take all of this fantastic content and really kind of put it into a format to say, hey, here's here's steps that I can take today that'll really help me and, and embrace and improve myself for tomorrow. So, lo love the actionable items there, and uh, you know, this has been fantastic, Mark, spending the the time with you, and we're getting to the end of the, the podcast here today, but there, there's five questions and I like to call it the fast five here. Sure. Um, but it's, 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 it's a little bit of a different fast five. We're not going to do, you know, your favorite ice cream or something like that, but more impactful on, you know, things that have impacted you personally. So I'd like to go through five questions and, and just get your, your response in terms of the impact or where you're currently at with them. So our first one is what's your favorite book in your library? Wow, and there's right behind me here. I, you know, I would say, oh, boy, there's so many good ones. Um, I would say Shackleton's Way. It's a story, I won't bore you with it, but uh, bottom line is 1914, this gentleman wants to be the first human being to traverse the Antarctic ice shelf and 
and he runs into all kinds of problems and travesty and crisis. It's a life and death struggle. And because of his tremendous leadership skills, um, prom prominently his optimism, he gets these men out of there after two and a half years of an epic struggle of survival. So uh, that's a great book. Shackleton's Way and, and also Endurance is another book about that uh, adventure. Uh, but it's there's so many. Um, I, I, that's probably one that comes to mind. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, I've heard you reference that book before and it's, uh, I mean, the, the excerpts that you've pulled from that book. I mean, you want to talk about an inspiring book. Yeah. yeah it's, it's one that is on my reading list for sure. So yeah. looking forward to that one. And, and, and I guess then, you know, looking at uh, kind of the bookshelf in the back, what book are you currently reading today? Well, that's <laughs> what I'm reading today is my book lessons from the Navy. What happened is, uh, I had some extra time. It's supposed to get published in October because of this COVID thing. Uh, the publisher, uh, Roman and Littlefield, they, obviously they took a hit because they're up in New York. Um, so they gave me some extra time. <clears throat> so I'm basically reading that book and rewriting it <clears throat> for the better. I had a chapter on leading in a crisis and whatnot. So that's what I'm reading now. Although another book I'm reading at night is to fall asleep by. Uh, it's a tremendous book, A Miracle in Philadelphia. Uh, this, this lady, I think her name is Drucker, wrote this book in the 60s, basically about uh, how, these, uh, how these folks back in you know, 1787 got together in the heat of Philadelphia with no air conditioning, no windows. It was just brutal. Uh, come up with this constitution, which is obviously the most important document <clears throat> in human history. Uh, and it really is. What's fascinating, you know, I don't want to keep going on with this thing, but so fascinating is these men warned about the power of governors and the power of, of, of the federalists and, and, and just what we're seeing today is, is they, they warned us about some of the, 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 the problem with people having too much power. It's, just, it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. So a good book. If you want to learn how we, our country became a, a country, uh, uh, Miracle in Philadelphia. No, d definitely. And, and the other side of that too, for, for our listeners, we'll put a link to Mark's new book uh, in the comments section below too. So if you're interested in checking out Mark's book, you'll be able to uh, click that link and go directly to, uh, to get finding out more information there. Yeah, and actually, apparently you can pre-order it, which is even something I just didn't know about. Someone told me, they emailed me, said, hey, you know you can pre-order your book? I said, I did not know that. So anyway, this is, that just happened. There, there it is. We'll be set up nicely then. There you go. So with, with this next one, Mark, this is actually one of my, one of my favorite questions here. And it's because everyone has, it's so different in terms of the spectrum that this falls into, but what's your favorite quote? Uh, what do you really, you know, find yourself referring back to, or, or that's had a, a, a major impact on your life? Yeah, that's a great one. The one that I guess I would, there's a quote, and I don't know who said it. Theodore Roosevelt gets the credit for it. If you Google it, he'll, his face pops up, but I'm not sure if that's just, you know, accurate now, but it's, uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it's so true. People don't care how much you know until you they know how much you care. Um, and it's so true. It's so common sense. And what I, how I equate that to, to leadership is, is really everything. You could have five, and I, I guarantee people on this, listening to this today, <clears throat> have experienced this. Someone who is extremely book smart, have all kinds of credentials, maybe three PhDs and you know three in leadership and maybe one MBA and 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 are just really competent. On paper, they are extremely competent, but they just don't, don't they do, do not care for their people. They don't show that they care for their people. They may they may think they do, but they don't show it. It's all perception. 
They don't do the things we, we talked about during this podcast. Um, and they don't succeed. I mean, they struggle along. They can't get the people to, to get from point A to point B. A, a crisis hits, they, they struggle with that. A change happens, they can't change. Um, so I, I just love that quote. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. When they know that you care, man, you, you're off to the races. It's such an incredible quote, and you know I, I love hearing you say it because it's it's something that we we leverage a lot of uh, a lot of times. It, it pops up with our training with our coach developers, and it it is um, I'm all on board with you. It is so true in terms of how important uh, that particular quote is, you know. And and that actually leads us into you know I, I, I've got a pretty good feeling this is going to have an impact on your response to the next question. What person in your life had the biggest impact? Oh, geez. Uh, you know, there, I guess from when I was during active duty, I worked for an Admiral, Admiral Faison. Um, my last tour, and he went on to become the Surgeon General of the Navy. Not surprising, this guy was amazing. And, uh, and he basically employed, when I worked for him, all these, these behaviors that we talked about. He never was rattled. He was always optimistic. He, he, he would ask me about my family at random times in the middle of, you know, some crazy times. Uh, so he, I guess he was like a, almost a capstone project for what I've been thinking about for 30 years. I saw him be extremely successful uh, in his job and I was his, basically his assistant. Um, and uh, so he had a big impact. And, you know, my father, a big military history guy, just cares a lot for people. Um, so he had a big impact. And, and, you know, I'm a Christian and, and Jesus Christ is a, the ultimate servant leader, really, when you get down to it. And uh, if you read anything about how he led and obviously what he did, he, you know, died on the cross and, and he was the ultimate servant leader. And what I, you know, really what I talk about in this is, is really servant leadership. And I wasn't the first person to come up with Greenleaf, came up with this in the 60s. Uh, I'm just putting a little bit more, I guess, teeth into how you, how you show that. So those three people, Admiral Faison, my dad, and, and uh, Jesus Christ are probably the three most impactful. So I, I didn't answer the question accurately. I cheated. <laughs> No, not, not, not at all. A perfect answer to it. And again, it's, you know, everyone has, you know, those, those individuals in their lives that have had just kind of shaped them and, and molded them into who they are today. So I love hearing kind of getting the background as to who had the biggest impact. Sure. Yeah, our last one here for, for today, Mark, and, and this is one where, uh, again, very interesting just to hear your, your take on this, but, you know, you've had such a successful career you know, so many great experiences. It'd be easy for you to say, hey, I'm, uh, I've done everything that I want to do, but what continues to drive you, to motivate you? Uh, do you still have new goals and, and, and how do you develop those goals? Yeah, geez, you know, i tell you, what drives me, Brian, is I, just, I had a conversation yesterday with a gentleman who's in the, in the Navy and, and his boss was everything we, we didn't talk about today. Uh, and ah, it just, it really bothers me. And so my goal is I just want to get the word out. I want to get the word out to, uh, uh, to, to, to how to become a more effective leader. How do you show you care? Uh, and, you know, I do a lot of pro bono stuff. And obviously, you know, I do stuff that I, I get paid for. But I've never, I, I've never missed an opportunity to get the word out. I'm not saying that to self-gratify myself. I'm not, that's not the point. It's just I'm motivated big time to help people become effectively to get people to, to have their people like coming to work as we started that whole conversation. Because uh, to me, it's not complex. Everything we talked about is common sense. But somehow, again, people lose track of these things. And uh, 
So that's my motivation. I'm, I'm, you know, so right now, I guess tactically what I'm trying to do is how to, <laughs> so I can't get in front of people uh, like I did a couple months ago. How do I get the word out? So this is a perfect venue. And again, I just want to thank you uh, to, for, for taking the time to, to, to help me do this. Cause it just, I know people are going to hear this. I know people are going to be better leaders for it. And, uh, and that just makes me really excited. So thank you for the opportunity, Brian, really. And PTR and Dan and, and the whole, whole gang back there. Thank you so much. No, we, we, we greatly appreciate all of your time and all of your talents and your knowledge, Mark. I mean, today was incredible. And, and I know everyone listening to the podcast is, 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 is madly writing notes down and, and is armed with, with some great new tools and resources to really approach this whole idea of, of being an effective leader, and especially being an effective leader in, in times of crisis. So we can't thank you enough for, for all of your time today, Mark, and, and sharing all of your knowledge and information. It's, it's been fantastic, and, and we've thoroughly enjoyed our time. So thanks for everything, and, and we look forward to having you on uh, another episode in the future of, of the PTR Coaches Corner. I, I appreciate it, Brian, and thank you so much. Have a, have a great day. What an absolute blast it was putting together this episode with Mark. We hope all of you enjoyed today's episode. And we look forward to seeing all of you back for the next episode of PTR's Coach's Corner. <music>